0: To season four, episode three of Vixen, a Black Beauty and Pop Culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is on Thelma Wright, former drug queen, pin turned motivational speaker. Now, let's start the show. Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Vixen. So I think this one is gonna be a little bit of a long one. So I want to jump right ahead into this episode. But first, I'll just say last season, you guys loved, 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 loved the crime crossover episode. Um, that was the one on Beverly Shameca Ash. So I felt because that one had such a good response um and you guys really enjoyed it, I thought it was only right that I do another crime crossover episode. Episode for y'all um, this one is a little bit different from our first one it does have a good twist Um, it's a great story as well. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy it. My main source for this episode was Thelma Wright's, um, memoir. It's called Eyes from Both Sides. I highly, highly recommend this book. I'm actually thinking of rereading it with the book club because I really want everyone to get into this story. So I would definitely recommend that you guys check her book out and follow her on Instagram. She does a lot of great community work. Let's go ahead and get into the episode. Thelma Brown was born on August 8th 1956 in philadelphia pennsylvania she was born and raised in south philly living with both parents two older brothers one younger brother and two younger sisters so they had a big family y'all. Thelma's father worked at an electric company while her mom stayed home with the kids but both parents played basketball in high school um in their spare time they both would work as referees and coaches for local teams um so they were a very very competitive family and that nature rubbed off on Thelma so in school she played basketball she ran track and she played softball so the Brown family lived in South Philly as I mentioned which is very very known for its organized crime if you guys know anything about the mafia you know that a large portion of it operates right out of south philly south philly is a major major location for the mob um the housing market in the area was rigged which this just means that like a lot of people weren't able to get affordable housing unless they were you know in good with the mob who had people working on the inside um so that means that many people were just kind of taking what they could get because the neighborhood was run by the italian mafia and they kind of controlled all of the housing that goes on um another thing that was big was the numbers game or the illegal racket game um and that was prevalent in pretty much all urban cities at the time philly was no different in south philly the rackets were enforced by the mob which was pretty much true in a lot of major cities i know this was true in new york until um stephanie st Clair and bumpy johnson Um, but yeah in south philly it was the italians who they had the racket game on lock um even though the neighborhood was crawling with crime the brown family was mostly sheltered from it all the family was working class um the kids went to catholic school and they typically had everything they needed and pretty much whatever they asked for as well so they were kind of like i guess like hood adjacent is a good way to describe it like they lived in the hood but they were not um a part of what was going on in their neighborhood at all after graduating from high school Thelma got a job at a bank and eventually started working for the government like y'all know how it is with black people like once you get a government job like that's the end-all be-all you are doing a really good job when you have a government job so Thelma was doing really really great for an 18 year old she was making her own money Um, but of course when you're young and you're making that kind of money you don't have any bills because she was still living with her parents you start like spending and you know partying and things like that and that's what she was doing Thelma made a ton of new friends throughout her time on the party circuit and as time went on a lot of those friends ended up joining the nation of Islam I don't know if my people from the south can relate to this I assume you can but being from DC I can tell you throughout the late 70s and the early 2000s many many black men in Philly dc new york that entire area converted to islam Um, a lot of them converted while spending time in prison or just from hearing about it in the neighborhood or um, just listening to the street teachings that a lot of muslim men would do a lot of my uncles and cousins became muslim around this time and if you've been to philly specifically you know that the nation of islam is very very strong there Um, it's one of the defining things about the black people in the city to me it is a huge thing in philadelphia and there was like a huge huge push of black people converting to islam at this time thelma wanted to convert as well because so many of her friends had done the same but she knew that if she did her mother would kick her out because remember the brown family was they were devout catholics so that just wasn't gonna fly in their household so thelma never converted but she did become friendly with many many um people who were a part of the Nation of Islam, and she became friends with a lot of members of the Black Mafia. The Black Mafia was founded in 1968 by Suleiman Bey, formerly known as Samuel Christian. Their main goal was to make money and circulate it through Black neighborhoods in Philly, but eventually, by about the 1970s, it had become a really, really large crime syndicate, usually participating in the sale of illegal narcotics and racketeering. So I'm not going to go too, too deep into the Black Mafia, but if you guys are interested in more about their history, there's a really, really good book about them that you should read. It's by um, Sean Patrick Griffin, and it's called Black Brothers, Inc. The Violent Rise and Fall of Philadelphia's Black Mafia. I didn't get to read the entire thing. But from what I read read about half of it, it's really, really good. So if you're interested in them, I suggest you guys read that book. In 1975, Thelma met a man named Malik at a party. Um, Malik was a few years older than her and he dabbled in a few illegal things, but he was mainly a big part of the numbers game. Um, The two of them hit it off quickly and they became a couple very, very fast. Uh, You know, Thelma, she wanted like, you know, rich inward, eight figures. Y'all already know. <laughs> so she was like really, really smitten with Malik. Malik definitely like love-bombed her in the beginning. He bought her a ton of expensive gifts, mainly fur coats. Y'all already know how it was in the 70s. Like having a fur coat, especially a floor-length one, was the ultimate sign of wealth. So it was, you know, she was... Thelma was feeling blissful. Okay, um, everyone that made money at the time, it, they you had to have at least a few fur coats. It was just a thing. Um, Thelma eventually moved in with Malik, and things were good for a while until he started to stay out late, just like gambling, partying, you know, stuff like that. Things got really, really bad when Malik became an enemy of a man named Dave, who was a member of the Black Mafia. Now, Thelma had known Dave from around the neighborhood. They weren't friends or anything like that, but she knew him. And one day, Dave actually kidnapped Thelma. So this story is crazy. She was just walking in the neighborhood, minding her business, and he came up behind her. He said hello, and they had like sort of a friendly conversation. And then out of nowhere, he just grabbed her and put her in his car. Um, and he was saying while they were in the car, he was saying, you know, I'm going to kill Malik, all of this stuff. And he just was driving around manically. She stayed calm the whole time and he eventually let her go after about two hours, um, and just dropped her back off in the neighborhood. So I cannot imagine how scary that was. And I'm going to tell y'all, like, I'd be trying not to put my own personal opinion in these stories, but the way that I would have never seen Malik again after this, like, oh my God, y'all, that's terrifying. But unfortunately. This was not the last straw for Thelma and Malik. After the incident, Thelma found out that she was pregnant, but unfortunately she gave birth to the baby girl prematurely at only six months pregnant. The baby died 15 minutes after birth. Malik was called repeatedly throughout the entire labor, but he did not show up to the hospital for hours. Um, and When he finally did, he looked at Thelma and she told him what happened. and He said, that's okay. You can have more babies. can't imagine a man's can y'all imagine that like you just go through something that traumatic and that is what your partner says calmly so thankfully that was the last straw for our girl Um, She left Malik and she moved back in with her parents. Now let's fast forward to the summer of 1977, y'all. So Thelma was living with her parents. She was working full time and she was still, you know, going out, hanging out with her friends, stuff like that. Um, While she would be out, she started to notice a red Cadillac El Dorado convertible all over the city and she got curious about who was behind the wheel. Howard Jackie Wright was born on November 2nd, 1947. He was a member of the Black Mafia, but grew tired of all of like the drama, the turf wars, and he just thought it would be safer for him if he moved solo and wasn't a part of a gang. So he left the Black Mafia to strike out on his own and he started to run a pretty lucrative heroin business. Um, it was basically wholesale. So he wasn't selling it on the streets. He was selling it to other, um, dealers. And he, I think, I believe he also had his own group of dealers that were selling it for him as well. Um, And this business was based in Philadelphia and LA. So he would go back and forth a lot. Once they finally met and Thelma saw who was behind the wheel, Jackie asked her out multiple times and she turned him down until one day she finally agreed. In her memoir, Thelma said she didn't just fall in love with Jackie. She leapt. Here's a quote. I found him very easy to talk to. We basically were from the same area of South Philly, but different sides. Like we had what you'd call the tracks. I was from one side and he was from the other, end quote. So the two quickly became a couple, but soon after they made it official, they started to have some issues. So both Jackie and Thelma started to notice that police would follow them around, not even only when they were together, but also separately. So one time Thelma was on her way to a friend's wedding and she noticed the police following her. Eventually they pull her over and then they surrounded the car, like pulled their guns out and everything crazy. So she cooperated and she was arrested for selling narcotics. Now remember, at this time, Thelma had never ever, ever had any part in Jackie's business. She had never touched anything, nothing. So the police obviously had no evidence and she knew this. Um, So she quickly realized they're just trying to send a message to Jackie. She was released from police custody and cleared of any wrongdoing, but they continued to follow her and they probably just had, you know, tabs on both of them, had folders on both of them. Then the couple just kept on having random bad things happen, y'all. So um, one day Jackie's house was completely ransacked um luckily neither of them were there at the time another day he was shot in the arm by rival gang members uh this sounds like it wouldn't be that bad of an injury but unfortunately the bullet ended up traveling through him um and it ended up lodged in his throat which is oh my god that's so scary so thankfully he survived this but it took him weeks to recover and it took him a long time to learn how to speak properly again Thelma stuck by his side throughout the whole ordeal and she was at the hospital every single day. While he was in the hospital, Jackie told her, Hey, like, I have a thousand dollars at your house. I stashed it there. Just make sure you keep it safe for me. And Thelma's like, Okay. So yes, Thelma had agreed to keep the money safe. But she was going on a girl's trip in a few weeks. So she took half of the $1,000. So she took 500 with her and, you know, went and had a ball with it. So when Jackie was released, he noticed the missing money. Like that was the first thing he went to go find. And he went ballistic. So this was when Thelma had found out that he had become addicted to the painkillers that he was prescribed Um, And that $1,000, he intended for that money to keep the habit going. So I'm guessing he was going to buy like a large amount of painkillers for with that $1,000. Now y'all, not that I know anything about the price of (laughs) painkillers, but what I will say is like just with inflation, I can only imagine how many of them you were able to buy for $1,000 in the 70s. Um, He probably was going to have all of his painkillers for the year or longer just off that $1,000. So he was very, very upset. In the weeks following, Jackie became very moody and very erratic, which is typical for people who are suffering from um, addiction to painkillers. Unfortunately, the relationship became abusive at this point. Things reached a breaking point between the two in August, 1979. It was Thelma's birthday and Jackie hadn't picked her up from work as he usually did, um, but he sent a friend to pick her up instead hours after he was supposed to come. So when she asked the friend where he was the friend said that Jackie was conducting business and would be home later. Thelma demanded that the friend bring her to wherever the business meeting was and the friend agreed. So when they got there Jackie and a group of men were standing outside in a circle just talking. Uh, Thelma got out of the car screaming yelling and Jackie was just like go home go home go home. They got into a really big fight and Thelma turned to leave but then she turned around again and she just started yelling some more and this is when Jackie just pulled out a gun and he pulled the trigger the bullet went through Thelma's thigh and came right out she went straight to the hospital for treatment but she refused to report the incident to the police as an apology Jackie sent her to LA for a vacation for two weeks when Thelma got back from her trip the two made up and moved to an apartment in Deptford New Jersey to get away from the growing violence in their Philly neighborhood Things were good again for some time until January, 1980, when Jackie suddenly ended the relationship without warning. Um, I don't know if like the shooting and also him randomly ending this were a part of you know what he was going through as far as his addiction I assume so but there was just no reason for him to just suddenly end the relationship like this especially not after like moving her to a nice new apartment or anything else that he did. After a few months he eventually came back with no apology, no explanation, no nothing But Thelma loved him so much that she just didn't care. Um, They kind of did this back and forth for quite some time and then they eventually moved back into Philly together. At this time, Jackie was getting increasingly paranoid which isn't really that surprising when you think about his line of work as well as his addiction. That's just a recipe for disaster right there. He started to monitor where Thelma went. He didn't allow her friends to visit at their home and he only allowed her to go see family. When Thelma got pregnant in early 1982, His paranoia likely increased and he quickly moved the family to a home in New Jersey again. On September 19, 1982, Thelma gave birth to a son, Jakeem Lacey Wright. The next year, Jackie proposed to Thelma and the two got married on December third, 1983. Jackie was still very very deep in the drug trade and deep into his addiction um and then he eventually started doing cocaine on top of the painkillers y'all so this likely continued to add to his paranoia he was often away from the family on business and after spending so much time being stuck in the house raising her son alone Thelma expressed to Jackie that she had to work again like she needed to be able to work again just to feel you know normal so Jackie surprised her one day and bought her a furniture store for her to run which she called right place furniture store as usual things were good for a time until Jackie's addiction and paranoia worsened he moved out of the family home only coming by to see his son so this is more of like the back and forth that they're doing during Christmas of that year Jackie suddenly said that Thelma and Jaquim needed to move to LA ASAP for their safety, like within the next few days. Thelma was super, super irritated and didn't want to. But once she realized how serious he was, she packed up herself and her son and they moved to L.A. Um, it was later revealed that Jackie had found out that one of his rivals had hatched a plan to kidnap Thelma and Joachim. So he had to get them out of there as soon as possible. After about a month in LA, Jackie said it was safe for the two of them to come back, but Thelma didn't want to leave at this point. She had started to build her own life outside of him and she was enjoying herself. Back home in Philly money was starting to run low for Jackie and the business just wasn't doing that well. Now I'm not really sure why business started to like not do well for Jackie. It could have been totally a part of just his paranoia and the addiction that was kind of driving business down for him. In March of 1986 the couple agreed to sell the home they shared in New Jersey and split the profit. As a result of Jackie's money woes Thelma started to have less and less spending money so she started to look for ways for more income. She had a need out in LA who had a boyfriend who sold guess what cocaine she asked him to hire her and he agreed saying she'd get a few thousand dollars for each run that she did so when he says runs that means that Thelma started to work as a transporter Uh, she would pick up the cocaine she would package it up and then she would send it off in the mail she only did this a couple of times but she loved having money come in that was strictly hers that she could use however she wanted Remember this for later, y'all. Life was pretty good for Thelma in LA. She was independent. She wasn't chasing Jackie. She wasn't changing her life around for him. And the two of them had actually started to co-parent really well. A week before her 30th birthday, Thelma came back to Philly to visit Jackie, who was upset because one of his clients owed him $25,000. Thelma tried to convince him to just forget about the money and move to LA and just start a new life. um, But he just refused. He wasn't about to do that. Thelma says, I remember he was upset. As time went on, I understand more so now why he couldn't let it go. If word got out that this guy beat him out of this money, then other people would try to take advantage of him, end quote. So every night, Jackie would call to speak to his son and just say goodnight to him and also just check in with Thelma. One day in 1986, Jackie called during the daytime, which he usually didn't do, just to ask if Thelma and Jaquim would move back to Philly irritated Thelma hung up because she just had already told him no and she was happy in LA it wasn't gonna happen so later that night she didn't hear from Jackie for his usual call he didn't wish her a happy birthday and both things were just very very unlike him Thelma did not ignore her intuition and she booked a flight to Philly the very next day a friend of Jackie's picked her up from the airport in Jackie's car and Thelma knew something was wrong instantly because she had called around a few times before just to see if anybody had seen him and people were saying that they saw a stranger driving his car um, and that stranger was this friend. The friend explained that two nights ago he rode with Jackie to a dealer's house in Germantown for a meeting. I'm assuming that this was a trap house and not somewhere that this dealer actually lived but I could be wrong. Um, after some time the friend said that Jackie just never came out of the house a woman came out instead and told him that Jackie sent her out to tell him that he'd be a while and that it was okay to go ahead and take his car with him immediately upon hearing the story Thelma told the friend to drive straight to the police station where the police followed them back to the house in Germantown police went in for an investigation coming out a few minutes later to tell Thelma that Jackie was indeed inside of the house but he was dead His body was found rolled up in a rug with a fatal gunshot wound to the head. It eventually came out that he was murdered allegedly allegedly y'all only because I couldn't find proof that this guy was actually convicted of this and we ain't trying to get sued we ain't trying to get fined. So he was allegedly murdered by a man named Dennis Rogers a dealer who worked for Jackie and owed him money. After Jackie's death Thelma was left to pick up the pieces. When the funeral ended, she returned to Jackie's home to clear out all of their belongings. A man who she recognized as a former business associate of Jackie's dropped by and handed her a bag full of money. It had been owed to Jackie, but now it belonged to Thelma. The man left quickly, but not before asking Thelma what was next. He also let her know that a lot of people were counting on her. She knew that what the man was asking was what was next with Jackie's drug operation, But Thelma herself had never even touched drugs. She did however know that she was smart, organized and resourceful. And she kind of felt like if Jackie could do it, why couldn't she? Before his death, Jackie had introduced Thelma to an older Asian woman named Auntie who had spent quite some time in prison. He brought her on to help with the LA part of his business and she became his heroin supplier. Thelma and Auntie had quickly grown close. So Thelma went straight to her with the prospect of taking over Jackie's business. Auntie quickly became her right-hand woman and was central to helping Thelma get a hold of things. In an interview with BET in 2019, Thelma said, When I look back on it now, I think I was a little crazy. I think I was caught at a vulnerable time with my husband's death and that position being dropped in my lap. It was really a strange kind of thing. He took care of us, loved his son if he was around nothing could happen people are assuming Jackie left me all this money nope I got this child I can't lay down and die so we just resumed business as normal made a lot of money a lot of money end quote of course this was a very hard decision to make like I think it would be for anybody um, who's lived a life on the straight and narrow to become a legit criminal and I know that people might be thinking it's absolutely insane to make a choice like this but I don't think we can really say what we would or wouldn't do unless we're placed in the situation and we also can't say what we would do when we've suffered such a big loss like that and when we've become accustomed to a lifestyle with you know infinite expensive items and fast money and things like that I think under the in that kind of situation You really don't know what you might do. The first thing Auntie instructed Thelma to do was to go and collect the rest of Jackie's money. She went to the woman who cut and bagged Jackie's cocaine in Philly and collected a large sum from her. The next instruction was to go exchange it for large bills at a bank where Jackie had an in at, like he knew somebody who worked there, but that bank had recently been robbed, so they didn't have any big bills. Thelma had no choice but to send the money via USPS to Auntie, who would then send back a new batch of heroin to Philly. This arrangement became the way that Thelma's version of the business was run. Strictly through the mail. So remember that, y'all. It was like money, drugs, money, drugs, and repeat. Hey, y'all. So I know we're all excited to come out of this pandemic and get back to our regular lives. But let's be honest. We've been through a lot these last two years. You might feel like you need to step back, reassess, process it all, set new goals, or just talk to somebody. I was feeling the exact same way and I just had my very first session with my new life coach Tola Maria. I ain't gonna lie y'all, I was nervous (laughs) but Tola made the space very comfortable, I felt safe and I felt like I could be open and honest. Although she made me comfortable, she did not hold back, y'all. She definitely told me about myself. But it all felt really constructive. I got some good tips. It was definitely eye-opening and very much needed. Having a life coach is something that I think Black women can truly get a lot out of. So I've partnered with Tola Maria Life Coach to offer my listeners 12% off their bulk sessions when they use my code, fixing. You can use this code on her website, which will be linked down in the show notes, And you can find her on Instagram at T Maria Life Coach. That's T-M-A-R-I-A Life Coach. And don't forget to use code VIXEN and let her know that I've sent you. Thelma was super, super cautious. She only did business with people who had previously dealt with Jackie, just people that she knew she could trust and she did not step outside of that comfort zone. Business started to boom again. Thelma's parents had started to receive strange calls from random men saying that Thelma was next. Her parents did not know anything about her involvement in Jackie's drug operation, but they thought that it might be Jackie's murderer, um, Dennis Rogers, or some of his friends. Thelma left Philly immediately only coming back periodically for business after these calls. She also stopped telling her loved ones when she was in town, just kind of popping up. Um, And when they asked questions about her income and her luxury lifestyle, she just told them that Jackie left behind a lot of money. In a 2017 interview with the Huffington Post, Thelma said, for women, we have to be careful because people are always coming at you. People are going to try you. So, you know, being a woman, you just have to be careful. It's not the same as for men. It's a whole different beast. Before Jackie's death, while on a trip to Vegas for a boxing match, Thelma met a cocaine dealer named Dan. The two became fast friends, but the relationship never blossomed as it could have because Thelma was still married. Once her drug business was running smoothly, she reached out to Dan to see if he would become her cocaine supplier. He agreed and her business grew even more successful as they added cocaine to their list. Now, I'm not really sure what happened as far as um, Jackie's cocaine plug. I'm guessing that must have fell through when he died. So that's why she found another person. After they became business partners, the two did start to date at this point, I believe. But the relationship, I don't think it really went anywhere. Um, As stated, Thelma began running the large organization that Jackie had left behind, transporting large amounts of cocaine and heroin between LA and Philadelphia. One thing to remember here, again, I know I've reiterated it, but I'm going to do it again. Thelma never got her hands dirty. She personally never touched any of the drugs. She had workers for that. She simply oversaw the business and coordinated things like think of her more as like a manager versus like I mean she is a queen pin but like she never touched anything y'all so I just want y'all to remember that for when the story ends because I know y'all are going to be like what how but remember that. <laughs> so Thelma was bringing in nearly $400,000 a month. She quickly became known as a major player in the drug game. She was becoming more high profile and more glamorous by the day, y'all. Her lifestyle was very lavish. I mean, she would fly to Europe for shopping sprees. She had private jets everywhere. She went um, to the Bahamas frequently to vacation front row seats to all events um and she had a ton of luxury customized cars she kept all of her business associates on a very very tight leash and she instantly cut off anybody that engaged in violence and i think doing this really earned her her respect and popularity throughout the city and everywhere that she went just like when she was briefly working for her niece's boyfriend's operation in la elma was loving the freedom In that interview with BET that I mentioned earlier, she said, I just felt like a woman who had finally come into her own and I was able to control my own life and do the things that I wanted to do. End quote. So our girl was really living the high life, y'all. Constant trips, constant parties. In August 1987, she planned this huge black tie birthday party for herself, and it was at the Four Seasons in Beverly Hills. All her family and friends flew out to LA. A ton of celebrities were there: Mike Bivens, Robin Harris, and more. Um, if you know anything about the, you know, drug trade, especially in the eighties and nineties. Many of them were loosely associated, some not so loosely, but many of them were loosely associated with tons of celebrities, so it wasn't weird for um, celebrities to be at a a drug dealer's party. On a trip to Miami with friends, Thelma met Aaron AJ Jones, the leader of Philadelphia's JBM, or Junior Black Mafia. So the Junior Black Mafia, y'all, was a reincarnated, like more current version of the Black Mafia, which remember, Jackie had once belonged to. So AJ was referred to as the black John Gotti and he ran the cocaine trade in Southwest Philly. After running into each other once or twice, the two exchanged numbers and fell head over heels for each other. She did not tell AJ about her own drug operations. Y'all remember this about Thelma. She can keep a secret. (laughs) So the two quickly became inseparable. They became a couple very fast and Thelma decided to become bicoastal. So going back and forth between Philly and LA. By 1989, pressure was amping up for the junior black mafia jbm was being monitored by the fbi and a lot of crazy headlines were coming out all at this time now i read very briefly about exactly what they were doing but from what i remember it sounded like they were committing a lot of crazy crimes like just publicly um y'all can look it up but i feel like there were like some not so secret executions i want to say like some stuff with police officers had went down so it was just like getting too hot Um, on July 17th, 1989, AJ was arrested on drug weapon and murder charges and was looking at life in prison. At this point, the relationship sadly ended and Thelma wanted to leave the city and move back to LA full time. However, this just wasn't possible. I think as um, the JBM arrests were happening, her street dealers in Philly were also worried about their own safety um, and they were very worried about the shipping process. So remember, they were like shipping their drugs and their money through the mail Um, And the dealers were just starting to get paranoid, rightfully so, because they were the ones that had their hands dirty, not Thelma. Um, To keep them calm, Thelma decided to oversee every shipment flying back and forth from Philly to L.A. So she started to kind of manage the packages and collect them. Um, All the travel started to become too much, so at the end of the year, she left LA behind completely to live in New Jersey, right outside of Philly, full-time. With Thelma around more, her drug operation grew more and got much, much, much more successful. But now, it was time for her to create some other streams of income and figure out some ways to clean her money so it wouldn't be so suspect, right? So, upon moving into the city, she opened up a luxury boutique called Silk Leather & You, Um, then she started to produce comedy shows throughout the city at various clubs. So it was basically like a comedy tour of comedians that she had handpicked and hired herself. This did really, really well for her, but eventually the clubs that she did her shows at became too small for like her group of comedians. Um, so she went to a larger club in West Philly to try to possibly move the show there. So they gave her like a test run and the show just bombed. Thelma was really, really, really disappointed, but she noticed an old friend in the crowd named Nirn, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Um, It's unclear what Nirn did for work specifically, but from what I could tell, he was very, very well-connected. Anyway, Niren said that he was certain the comedy show would do better in a different part of town, so he took Thelma to a club by UPenn, or University of Pennsylvania for those who don't know, um, and the show had a really great response there. The audience was perfect, and Thelma made a lot of money from it. She agreed to partner with Niren on comedy management, and the shows continued to pack the club out. Thelma then moved her boutique to Center City. And if you've never been to Philly, that's like the downtown area. Um, There's a lot of shopping there, lots of cool boutiques. Some of them are like low-end, mid-level, some are upscale. Um, But it's just really, really nice. They have like a variety of different stores at different price points. So her moving there was like, you know. Moving on up in the world. So at this point, Thelma was really, really on top of the world. She had two legal businesses plus her operation and nobody suspected a thing, y'all. She was I don't think she was on their radar at all at this time. Um, this life of luxury only lasted for a few years until the summer of 1991, where there were three defining instances that made Thelma think twice about her lifestyle. So those three things were a friend being killed in a shootout, a business associate of hers being sent to prison and her connect being executed by a rival gang. So I'm not going to go too in-depth about all three of these situations, but I will tell you guys a little bit about each of them now. In July of 1991, Thelma and a few friends of hers, some of them were JBM members, were hanging out. Um, They needed to go buy tickets for an upcoming concert, but the only place that these tickets were being sold was at Studio West, a club in West Philly. Now, Thelma didn't want to go because Studio West was a hood club, kind of known for shootouts and stuff like that. Y'all know the kind of place. But Her and her friends really wanted these tickets, so they went. So they pull up to the let out at the club and she instantly had a weird feeling. So she let her friends go inside while she waited for them in the car. Out of nowhere, gunshots start to ring out and Thelma panicked, Um, ducked in the car for cover. A friend grabbed her out of the car, took her behind a dumpster and got on top of her to shield her. After a minute or two, the two got up to check and see what happened and make sure like the coast was clear. A gunman walked right up on them and pointed a gun directly in Thelma's face. She didn't look him in the eye because she knew that if he knew that she had seen his face, uh, he would be less open to letting her go. So she looked away from him, didn't look up, didn't look him in the eye and just begged for her life to be spared. The shooter ran away after a few minutes and Thelma crawled around the dumpster to check on her friends, only to see Nirn lying on the ground in a pool of blood. And he wasn't the only one. Dead bodies littered the parking lot of the club. The friend grabbed Thelma, took her keys, and drove them away in her car. So basically, and Thelma didn't know this at the time, but what had happened was a member of JBM named Reggie had gotten into an argument with a rival gang member inside of the club. Now remember, The other members of JBM arrived with Thelma innocently just to get the tickets but they went inside instead of her. The rival gang member and his crew thought that Reggie had called the other members for backup so they took their arrival as a threat. Reggie had started walking towards Thelma's car backwards and shooting his gun and that basically started the entire shootout and put Thelma in the middle of it. After this near death experience, Thelma became very very depressed, developing PTSD and paranoia much like Jackie had before his death. Even her son, Jakim, noticed the difference in his mother's behavior. She soon closed the boutique down, refused to leave her home, and started to think hard about her life decisions. She was starting to realize it wasn't worth it and that this lifestyle could only end with her in prison or her dead. The bad news didn't stop there. Remember her cocaine connect Dan? So Dan was arrested shortly after the shooting which completely shut down one part of her operation because remember she was moving cocaine and heroin. Now at this point I highly doubt Thelma had the energy to go out and source a new plug so it just completely shut down that part things continued to get progressively worse at this time so y'all know the operation was run through the mail right so auntie would send over a package of drugs addressed to one of thelma's subordinates who would then distribute the drugs there was rarely ever an issue with shipping but if the package didn't arrive on time the rule was to make sure that you did not call the post office to inquire about it for obvious reasons right because If you're already doing something illegal, you don't want them to be paying extra attention to your illegal package, right? So, duh, of course, you would never call about it. Now, this particular subordinate had an issue where the package didn't come for a few days and he did not follow the rules and he called the post office to ask about it. It ended up coming a few days after his call accompanied by an FBI agent who arrested him. Thelma was super, super nervous about this, but she knew that nothing was pointed towards her, so she kept the operation going. Now, nothing pointed to her at the time, but I'm sure if the police wanted to connect the dots, they probably could have, but there just wasn't any obvious ties between the dealer and Thelma. Um, and it was really just his hands on it. So she did keep the operation open for a while. In August of 1991, Thelma got a call from Karen, the owner of the hair salon next to the boutique's old Center City location. Karen let her know that a few postal investigators had come by to question them about the owner of the boutique that used to be there. Thelma started to panic again, knowing that the walls were closing in on her. She immediately called Auntie and let her know what happened. Anne told her that she'd be closing the entire operation down. Auntie understood this and the two agreed to work together to tie up any loose ends. But what she didn't know was that that would be the last time she heard from Auntie. Two weeks after their phone conversation, Thelma had not heard from Auntie and decided to go down to a pay phone and call. She knew that if she called from a pay phone, it wouldn't be traced back to her just in case, you know, Auntie had been arrested, which is what she thought. Auntie's niece answered the phone and told Thelma that the police had found Auntie dead, shot execution style, alongside two of her business associates. Obviously, Thelma was crushed. Like She looked at Auntie as a second mother, so she was really, really crushed by this, and it really made her change her mindset. After five years of running this business, Thelma knew it was time for her to throw in the towel. That same year, she left it completely behind and remained in Philadelphia with the full support of her parents. She started looking for full-time work to support her and her son, starting off at a receptionist job, making only $19,000 a year. You're probably wondering how she was able to walk away from such a major operation without consequence. But y'all, she literally had a clean break, as crazy as it is to believe. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. Um, Emma just walked away and left it all behind. There were no more drugs coming in because her heroin supplier was dead and the cocaine connect was in jail. Um, The street dealers just had to move on and find their own plugs if they wanted to keep on dealing and Thelma was able to completely restart her life and what allowed her to do this to completely break free like this was that she kept a low profile throughout the entire time that she was running this operation and that's what a lot of other dealers don't do. They get their own hands dirty. Um, they they're too flashy and also I think being a woman helped as well because most people wouldn't suspect that a woman would be behind something like this at most they would think she was working for a man or working for her husband or something like that never would somebody think it wouldn't be common for somebody to assume that a woman was behind all of this and I think her keeping a low profile Cleaning her money, not touching anything, and just making the process as seamless as possible the way she did. Really just allowed her to float under the radar and not really be detected by police or anything like that. Um, And I think with her just being so well liked, it helped with her not having to fight with rivals or anything like that. So that's how she was able to make such a clean break like this. Thelma decided to stay quiet about the queen pin portion of her life publicly, instead deciding to work for a nonprofit organization that helped women who were going through mental health issues and dealing with addiction. Later on, she started to travel around as a motivational speaker. I think that doing these kinds of things and this kind of community work was like redemption for Thelma. I believe she said this a few times, like she called it like atonement. Um, And I just feel like that's a great way for her to pour back into the community Um, what she took away from it by moving drugs on the street Um, and I'm sure that kind of helped her be at peace with what she had done here's a quote from Thelma about her nonprofit work I am a mother to some I am grandmother to the kids it gives me an opportunity to see some of the destruction behind things I had done when I go around and speak to people I'm letting them know that you need to stay away from this game you're not going to win it is a no win two options death or jail that's it there's nothing else looking back on it now i did what i did to survive to take care of myself and my son would i do it again no absolutely not to be able to see the damage that has been done through the drug trade i can't take full responsibility for all of that but i did play a part in that so that's why it's so important for me now to work in prison reform again elma kept her past life private Most people didn't know she was ever a drug dealer until her autobiography, Eyes From Both Sides, Living My Life In and Out of the Game, was released on May 30th, 2011. So she was able to write such a book, um, you know, she wasn't arrested or charged for any of her crimes, but she was able to write a book that detailed her crimes because of the statute of limitations. So the statute of limitations um, had completely passed and she could no longer be arrested. So she decided to come clean about everything. In 2015, she founded the Thelma Wright Foundation, dedicated to motivating young women to focus on education, not incarceration and to avoid drugs and gangs especially when led there by men. So I'm sure you guys might know this a lot of the women especially black women and other women of color who are in jail for or prison rather for crimes related to drugs and things a lot of them are there because of men who led them there um and I feel like this is something that Thelma probably feels is very, very close to her heart. And that makes a lot of sense to me because there are so many women who go to jail for trying to be a ride or die, um, for trying to hold their man down, whether he's in jail or can't do it or died or something like that. And, um, you know, a lot of women, you like, if you've ever been to a male prison, you know, male prisons be having visitors all up in that thing, their family, their kids, their girlfriends, their wives, everybody be up in there visiting, but In women's jail, a lot of them never get a visitor throughout their entire stay. So I love that she's catching these women right before they do something that can truly damage them and ruin their lives and let them know like these men not to be bashing y'all the men who listen to this podcast but these men are not gonna hold y'all down when y'all do stuff like this we gain almost absolutely nothing from holding men down I'm getting off subject but I just had to say that you know because I think it's very important to catch women at that point because we learn so much especially as black women we kind of learn that we have to hold men down and that's how you get a man to be faithful and loyal to you by being right or dying down for whatever and that's not it y'all that is not the way I know a lot of y'all who listen to me are very young please don't do that don't go to jail for no man don't take over his operation if you're gonna date somebody that's into illegal things make sure it don't ever have nothing to do with you we've seen so many people get caught up in stuff like that but anyway back to the story let's move on sorry let me get off my soapbox so i'm gonna close this out with a quote from a 2013 interview that thelma did with yahoo Um, most are not fortunate enough to survive the wicked lure of the streets, but fast money and fast living is not a comparable trade-off for jail or for being murdered. I am blessed beyond measure to have survived both and live to tell about it. My passion and fury now is to keep our young people, particularly women, away from the insanity, turmoil, and desperation that awaits them when they take that route. Education, not incarceration, is the key. I can't say it enough times and it might sound like a cliche but crime does not pay only living a righteous life does end quote all right y'all so that is my episode on Thelma Wright that is our second crime crossover episode I'm hoping to do one of these every season um just so you guys can see a little bit of the underside of you know glamour and, and fame and all of that stuff everybody don't get there by talent or singing or doing stuff sometimes it's something a little illegal you know um but i I hope you guys liked this episode and I hope you guys learned a lot. If you did not know about Thelma, right? I highly suggest that you guys read her book. If you're interested in this story, I could have gone way deeper with this. Um, there's a lot of information just on her life and things that she went through. Um, but I kind of kept it at, you know, like the main points, but definitely if you're interested in learning more about her life story, please, please, please get her book. It was so good. Um, and also follow her on Instagram so you can see all of that great community work that she's doing. And it's just really inspiring the way that she's completely turned her life around. And she was given such a, a big second chance to like walk away from this. Um, walk away from the drug game without having to go to jail or getting hurt or anything like that so yes i really really love this story i hope you guys enjoyed this and i look forward to seeing y'all next week for an all new episode bye thank you for listening to vixen if you like today's episode don't forget to leave a review if you have a submission feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com we'll be back next week with an all new episode